couple of quick, um, quick updates before we move into our sermon. First, uh, night of worship tonight, 6 o'clock. Um, you, I tell you what, if you're thinking, well, gosh, a busy week, I'm not really sure I can make it. Um, these are amazing times. They really are. And if, when you come and you're here, you think, uh, you know, thank God I didn't miss this. So tonight we're back here spending time in prayer. You know, it's, it's a time where we can kind of take a step back. And if people are struggling, we, we pray over each other. We're, we're singing and worshiping. There's different, uh, there's different opportunities just to worship God together as the body of Christ. So make sure you um, come back here tonight at 6 o'clock for that time of worship. Other couple of other quick things. Men's retreat. For all the men, okay, uh, men's retreat is going to be October the 19th and the 20th. Um, a lot of our staff will be there. It's going to be a great time of fellowship. So if you'd like to be a part of that, there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Man, you can talk to me. You can talk to Kevin as well about this if you have any questions. But October 19th and 20th. Um, also, a couple of other fun things. Netball camp. They went over to, to Kenya and learned netball. It's an incredible sport. It's like the, the basketball-ish kind of hoop out there um, that we made. We had that custom-made this is a sport that is big in, um, in a lot of the countries um, uh, in Africa. Uh, and so we brought it here, and we're going to be one of the only places in America with it. But we're going to teach people how to play netball on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. You can come to any of those days, okay? It'll be from 6 to 8, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You can come to all three. You can come to two. You can come to one. It doesn't matter. But if you'd like to learn about netball and be a part of that, it'll be great. It'll be a great opportunity for outreach for the church. And last but not least, membership class is this, this Wednesday from 6.30 to 8.30. So I know a lot of you have been begging me to have a membership class. You can't wait to join this church because you're so excited about it, right? That's, uh, you're so excited about it. Woohoo, that's right. Come on. It's one of those other people are kind of deciding whether they're going to join now by your response. So um, this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30, I'll be teaching membership class. We'll have a great time, great time to get to to just connect with me, maybe get to know me a little better, and obviously more about the church that you're a part of. So this coming Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30. All right, if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 and 32. If you don't have them, be up on the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. You've got to love Paul um, and, and the way he lays things out for us. This morning, I want to look at the, some of the dangers that we face as we walk through this new world, an ever-changing world of the internet and of social media, we're in a series called What Would Jesus Tweet? How do we, how do we handle all this new technology, everything that's going on around us, Facebook, you know, tweeting, uh, the internet, uh, you name it, you know, texting, emailing, all of it's coming, all of it's part of our world. Not a, not a bad thing, it's just a part of our world. So then as believers in Jesus Christ, it is Christ that sets our direction, how we deal with everything in our lives. So how do we handle it? Well, how, do we, how do we walk in this ever-changing world of internet and social media? I, I think sometimes 
that we feel buffered. When we get online, we feel, we feel a little buffered in this new world. We feel less vulnerable. We feel more open to share our feelings, our thoughts, our ideas. And we, we, we lower our spiritual guard in a lot of our on, online activities. Because, you know, in our minds sometimes it's not out there in the real world. It's, you know, it's in here. And so we, we lower, we don't think about it, and we lower our spiritual guard in our, in our online activities. We choose to do things that we might never do in the real world. We choose to engage in things and have conversations and do those types of things that we may never do as individuals in what we think of as the real world. So today what I want to do is share with you three specific dangers for you to consider. Three specific dangers for you to consider. And before I do, I would like everyone to tuck your feet, just if you would put your feet underneath your chair, kind of tuck them underneath your chair if you're tall enough to do that. Okay, because I am definitely going to step on your toes this morning. Okay, <laughs> I'm just going to. I'm going to be stepping on some toes, and there's really just no way for, for me to avoid it. And I know some of my recent sermons have been, and they're, I think they're all a bit challenging, but recently in the last you know, six months or so, I think some of the sermons have been a little even more challenging for us. But, you know, the reason I'm doing that is I want this church, this body to be different in a world where kind of anything goes and let's just tickle everyone's ears and the most important thing is that, you know, churches explode and if they, you know, we have to make sure we don't offend anybody, make everybody feel comfortable, that's good. I want to make people feel comfortable as well, but not at the cost of avoiding some of the tough subjects and the challenges. So for me, I want Grace Chapel, and I'm not saying we're better than anyone else. All I'm saying is I want us to be the best that we can be. I want this church to be different. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people. Listen to the words. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's you. A people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the kind of church that we should have. You, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a nation, a holy nation, holy nation, a people belonging to God. We belong to God in every area of our lives. And I don't personally think that we think we should shrink back from any of that. I, I, I don't believe that, that we should lower our expectations. I don't think that we should lower the bar. I think that we should live up to our birthright. We are adopted into the family of God. God adopted us out of love into his family. And I don't think for one moment the body of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, should continue to shrink back and become less than who they were designed, created, and called to be. So that is the foundation. I'm going to look at the first area of danger that we need to avoid, and that is causing others to stumble. We read a little bit about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 and following we first started. So what do I mean by causing other people to stumble? Let me give you a couple examples. We're talking about how we use, how we interact online. Um, I really think that you need to consider the type of pictures that you will post 
um, on the internet, whether it's Facebook or any place else. You need to consider the type of pictures that you are going to post there. Here's a rule of thumb that I, that I kind of, I could give you a lot of scriptures and, and I can back this up theologically, but here's a rule of thumb. If you wouldn't hand out the picture to your friend's husband's, if you wouldn't walk up and stand at the church door and as you're coming in, you wouldn't give them your vacation picture, say, hey, check this one out. You know what I'm saying? If you're not going to hand your pictures to your husband's, your, 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 your best friends or your friend's husband's, or you wouldn't give them to your future employer, then you may not want to post them online. Because honestly, again, there's, employers are now looking at those things. They go online to find out what kind of person it is, that kind of thing. Um, and you had to think to yourself, if I'm posting this picture, who is going to be seeing this picture, picture and how is it going to affect them? Is it going to be positive? Is it going to lead them closer to Christ or is it going to cause them to stumble? You need to guard your life. The Bible talks about guard your life, the way you live, the choices that you and I make. It's not just about us. It's about everyone around us. We're a part of the body of Christ. So we need to be we need to be guarding our lives and thinking through the decisions that we make. A few years ago, one of the student leaders um, went off to college, graduated, went off to college, and he posted some pictures on his Facebook page, on his main Facebook page, of him winning a drinking contest. He was there. He had a couple things strapped to his hands, and he and it was like he is the he was the beer drinking or the alcohol drinking champion of his of his dorm. Posted all the pictures on there, and it and it really affected some of the younger students who were looking up to this person. Until that point, it seemed to be this was the leader, and you know he goes off to college, and all of a sudden, bam! The first thing that shows up on his Facebook site are pictures of him winning a drinking contest, and it was really discouraging to the other students who were looking up to him. And what I find sometimes is, as for Christians, and I talked about this last week, I believe, that when you point that out to believers, when you say, hey, you know, those, that, that seems to really affect the, the, the people that are around you that look up to you, the response many times is, you know, that, you know if I, I, I'm, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to post what I want to post. If that affects someone else, it's not my problem. Well, that's not true. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not true. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32? He said, do not cause anyone to stumble. Don't cause anyone to stumble. If you have a younger younger believer or other believers around you, you're responsible for how you interact with them. Now, you can't, you can't live your life in total bondage. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get stuck there. I'm saying that we are responsible for how we present ourselves to the world around us, especially to those in the body of Christ. That's so important. So, so the idea that it's not, I'll do what I want, I'll do this or that, or I'll post this or that, and that's that person's problem. If they don't like it, they can whatever. That's not biblically true. You are responsible for causing other people to stumble. And here's my other question. My question is, why is it, why, why, why do we always lower our standards? Why, is, why don't we live up to like 1 Timothy chapter 4? 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 says this, Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for believers. Listen, listen to this. In speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And he's talking, he's talking to Timothy. He's younger. 
and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gifts, which was, uh, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Listen, be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. When they see you, they see your life. You're living this out in front of them. You're being an example. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's saying that to those around him, to Timothy. Timothy, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Timothy should be saying to those around him, hey, follow my example. If I follow the example of Christ or if I follow the example of Paul and he follows the example of Christ, Timothy should have that attitude. He says, he says you know, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Our choices have eternal consequences. When I signed up, if you will, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I knew that came at a cost. And the cost is that I'm responsible for how I live my life. For the things that I do. My behavior. What I say to you in the pulpit and outside of the pulpit, when you come to the office, if you make me angry, I'm responsible for how I respond to you. Our choices, all of us, all of our choices have eternal consequences. It's so important that we understand that, not just for us, but for others. No one exists in a vacuum. None of us exist in a vacuum. We have families, we have people watching, we have people all around us. You know, Paul's point is that even if your choices are, you know, are not negatively affecting you, you need to be careful that your choices are not negatively affecting other people. At least if they are affecting other people, to sit down and have a conversation and talk through why you did what you did or you were able to do that, you know, why it's the right thing to do. Not just come out with, hey, if, that's your, if, if you don't like it, it's your problem. That's not a Christian answer when someone questions you about what you're posting, what you're saying, what you're doing, not just online, but in your entire life. The answer is to sit down and walk it through and help them because you need to consider their feelings and their faith. You need to consider other people's feelings and also their faith. So even if what you're doing is not a sin, if you will, if it's affecting someone else, you at least sit down and explain that to them. Help them grow. Help them understand it. Okay, the second area of danger is that we need to, what we need to avoid is engaging in, in tempting situations online. Engaging in tempting situations online. Now, you, we can go to the deeper things and you'd all go, oh, yeah, Absolutely. You know, we gotta, we got to make sure that we're not clicking on the wrong button and going to these different places. That's totally true. Well, let me give you another example. Another good example would be connecting with an old boyfriend or girlfriend online. There's, there's another example. Now, this could start out as a very innocent interaction. You know, it's the, the old boyfriend or girlfriend uh, Facebooks you to be a friend, and you start talking about, you start reminiscing and, and, and remembering the good old days. Nothing wrong with that. But then as the conversation goes on, you keep talking, it gets a little deeper, and it gets a, a little more intimate. They, or maybe you, are struggling in your marriage, and they become, after a while, a shoulder to cry on. And, you know, they, they seem to understand you. They seem to understand what you're going through, and there's this, there's this connection that's being built. 
Now, here, here's the danger. Here's the danger in, with, with some of the, our, our interactions online. I'll ask you a question, kind of point it out. If, if, I were, if I were to ask you, do you think it's a good idea to meet three to five times a week with an old boyfriend or girlfriend for lunch? Most of you would say, no, that's, I, I, I'm not, I don't think that's a good idea. That's a, and that would cause, maybe that would cause some problems. But if I asked you if it was okay to text, Facebook, um, email, uh, tw- you know, do Twitter with three to five times a week with an old boyfriend or girlfriend, many people would say, nah, there's not much harm to that. I don't see, I don't see the harm in that. You know, it's not like, you know, we're just, we're just, I don't see the harm in that. See, the harm is that the first one I described, you acknowledge and you understand could be an area of temptation, could cause a problem in your life. If you were meeting three to five times a week with an old boyfriend or girlfriend, and maybe you were struggling a little bit in your marriage, or even if you weren't, I don't think that would be like, yeah, go ahead, go meet with your boyfriend or girlfriend three to five times a week, your husband or your wife would say. See, that, that to you could, you see as a problem. But when you're talking about, you know, Facebooking someone or texting someone or emailing someone three, three to five times a week, you, you, don't, you don't see that. You don't see that possible temptation to the second part. You don't see it or, or you won't see it until it's too late. Therein lies the problem. In James chapter 1, verses 14 to 50, it reminds us of this. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Herein lies the problem. No one, no one gets up in the morning and says, I'm going to start texting or emailing or Facebooking a good old friend of mine, a girlfriend or boyfriend, or and I'm going to finally go and do something I really shouldn't do. That's not what happens. It's a slow progress. You put yourself in situations you probably should not put yourself in. You have conversations because the other person maybe is luring you into conversations you shouldn't be having, and the next thing you know, you're putting your, your own life in danger. You're putting your spiritual life and your family life and everything in danger. Listen, if you need to talk to someone about your problems and your difficulties I'm in total sincerity call me call one of the other pastors call a really good or a best a best friend who's strong spiritually and talk to them you don't need to talk to your boyfriend and old boyfriend or girlfriend about it and if having that conversation is no big deal then why don't you do this if here's a test for you if it's not a big deal at all you know I'm making I'm making such a mountain out of a molehill why don't you then give, why don't you then let your spouse know that you're having that conversation, print off all the conversation you've had so far and let them read everything and let them read it ongoing. Because it's, if it's no big deal at all, then you won't have any problem, you know, letting your spouse look and see, you know, what's going on with the conversations that you're having. Um, let me assure you, if, if you think Connecting with someone online and having those kind of conversations is not as big of a deal as going to lunch, you know, three to five times a week with someone. You're making a tragic mistake and the consequences are going to be severe. They're going to be extremely severe. Now, some of you are thinking because you're going to get defensive in your mind. Are you telling me that I can't talk to an old friend online? That's not what we're talking about, is it? I talk to old friends online all the time. That's not what we're talking about. Again, we'll go back to last week. What is the principle here? What is the biblical principle? You know what I mean? The temptation principle. What is the principle? So don't, get, don't, don't, don't let Satan talk to you and say, well, he, what is he talking? This is ridiculous. You come to church, you can't even talk to people anymore on Facebook. Not what I said. 
not what I said. Don't go there. I have a specific, I give a specific example of a way that you can be lured into something. And that's just one example. And there's other examples as well. But of course you can talk to people, old friends online. One other little side note. I hear people all the time saying, you don't understand. This is my soulmate. This other person, they, they, they've taken, they've, now they've gone, from, they've gone from the conversation a little further. Okay, figure that out. So they've gone the conversation a little further, and what their response is, this is, you don't, I don't understand. This is the person's soulmate. They, they can talk to this person. That other person understands me, they say. Okay, three things. First, first, I don't see anywhere in Scripture it talking about soulmates. I see a lot of scripture talking about the plan for, that God's plan for husbands and wives. You know, if you want a soulmate, why don't you give your heart and soul to your mate? If you give your heart and soul to your mate, there's your soulmate. Your soulmate is Jesus Christ, just so you know. And then you follow Jesus Christ. And when you give your heart to your spouse, you give your heart and soul to your spouse, that person should be your best friend. That person should be the person you communicate with and invest your life in. Second, listen, please remember this. Until you pay bills with someone, until you um, have children with someone, until you go through loss with someone, until you face the challenges and difficulties and, and stresses and strains of life, you are, all, you are in a fantasy land with somebody else. You are not in reality. This is not reality. Until you live life with someone... Not have someone you're talking to and everything you say is wonderful, everything you say is wonderful. You're not living life with them. You're in a fantasy land. You're not in reality. Third, anyone who would behave this way with you will also behave this way again given the right circumstances. And the moment there's conflict or whatever or stress in the relationship, they're going to guess what? They're going to go find their soulmate and it's not you because now the stresses of life have entered in and you're no longer fun and you're no longer in fantasy land and so they're going to go do it with somebody else. Keep those things in mind. And I know, gosh, I even stand here. It makes me, it even gets me a little nervous talking about this stuff because I know how challenging it is to think about. I know how, how stressed out people become when you, when you start to talk about these things, but these are the dangers. And it's my responsibility to teach you spiritual truth and to protect you from spiritual harm. The two things a pastor, the main purposes of a pastor's life, this is my purpose, to teach you spiritual truth and to protect you from spiritual harm, and it's exactly what I'm doing. You do the same thing with your kids when it comes to all this stuff online. And I'm going to be talking about those things as well during this series, but right now I'm kind of talking to people over 18 a little bit. Now, obviously it applies to everyone, but you know, you do the same thing with your children, trying to protect them from the dangers of online. Okay, here's the bottom line. If you're talking online with someone in an inappropriate way, you need to cut it off. Simple. If, and you know what inappropriate is. Even if you kind of step a tiny bit over the line, all right, just ask God to forgive you, repent of that, and then cut that relationship, cut that conversation off, and move on. Cut it off. Stop doing it. It isn't right. It's not right. You know, you know in your heart it's not right. So I'm encouraging you, stop it now, cut it off, give it over to the Lord, and move on. Excuse me, move on. Number four, number three, number three. Avoid sharing opinions that might be offensive or discouraging to others in open forums. In open forums. Let me, let me explain this. This is what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about debating someone online 
where everyone can see it. You know, having conversations on maybe your main Facebook page where, every, where everyone's able to see it. You know, I've, I've seen some conversations posted on Facebook on the main page that would probably be better in a personal message to that person. You say, well, well why? Why is that? Because some debates or comments are, are, are not appropriate for, for all viewers. How's that? I have, I have Facebook friends that are, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. You know, I'm their pastor and they get on, they want to see, you know, they want to see what I'm posting or whatever else, be Facebook friends. I love that because they can see anything. They can see any pictures I have on there. They can see anything I say and, you know, it's, it's all there. And some, com- some conversations, some debates are not mature. It's, it's too mature for all viewers. Let me give you an example. I've been in an online conversation with a friend for years. It's, it's a debate that we're having. So we've been debating for years and, and we've, been, we've been debating every issue you can possibly imagine. We're on two sides of the spectrum. And so we constantly debate each other on different issues in the world. In a recent post, we were going back and forth on some subject. So we're debating back and forth. And, and it, you know, obviously the person didn't like what I was saying. So here's, what they, here's, here's the conversation back and forth. And here's what they wrote. It is not for you, your church, or your God to accept or not accept, approve or not approve, someone else's life. I think those of us who feel this way would like those who feel compelled to judge them and pray for them to shut the blank up. And she didn't say fudge. So now, what what if that were posted on my main page? I didn't know. I can't control. Now, the person would not do it, first off. But I, could, I can't control what people are going to post on that page. I have people who are younger and maybe less mature. That wouldn't be something I would want them to see or read. So we need to be careful what we're posting on our main page. Imagine if that were on there. Uh, we were discussing an issue, honestly, that was too mature for some people to really get involved in. It was too mature for them. So that's a conversation I have on another, in another place. Even in a sermon, and you, even this morning, even in a sermon, I try to consider my audience. Now, I don't want to back off from, from speaking spiritual truth, from telling biblical truth. But I want to get the message across to the adults with, without having to spell it all out. Like, I, you know, just in a, five minutes ago, we were talking about making, you know, taking that next step from, from emailing or Facebooking or texting or whatever, that next step. Well, I don't need to spell out the next step to everyone sitting here. You're old enough to figure out what the next step is. So we need to be careful. I try to be careful, even in this context, speak the truth, but make sure that I'm understanding my audience. Let me, let me change gears a bit, but stay on the same topic. I often see or hear situations where, where people will share opinions that are offensive to others. And when someone then comes and says, um, hey, and points out where they think that that um, opinion or idea was offensive um, and tries to point it out, the, the, the person who wrote it is less than gracious. person says that might be hurtful to post that or say things like that and have those conversations. And the person who is confronted behind the scenes okay, gets defensive and says, and says things like, you know, uh, you know uh, they're, well, they're not very gracious about it. Listen, we all share thoughts and ideas that other people don't agree with. It happens to me sometimes. 
I mean, I, 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 talk, I share a lot, I communicate a lot, but there are some times where I share things that uh, not everyone, you know, opinions that everyone's going to agree with. The issue is how do we react when someone points it out to us? How, as believers in Jesus Christ, do we react when someone points it out? I've heard responses like these. If you don't like what I'm writing on my whatever page, you don't have to read it. Bam. If you don't like it, don't read it. If you don't like what I'm saying, then, you know, that's your problem again. If you don't like it, don't read it. And a few years ago, I pointed out to a Facebook friend that what they posted on their Facebook, very nicely, behind the scenes, I said what they posted on their, on their Facebook page may, may be hurtful to, to someone else. And their response was to quote Brigham Young, who said, only a fool is offended because uh, an offense is taken, not given. That was the response. So only a fool is offended because an offense is taken and not given. Brigham Young, Young said that. And I know another, another atheist um, uses that as well. See, without, without getting too deep, and I need, you to, I need you to put your thinking caps on with me just for a, for a few minutes. You have them on, but I need you to get deeper, okay? Got them on? All right. Feet are tucked under. You still, your feet still tucked under? Your toes maybe are hurting a little bit. <laughs> Keep your feet tucked under and put your thinking caps on, all right? All right. Without getting too deep, let me just say, the Bible is absolutely positively clear that it is a sin to give offense, you can offend people. You can offend someone. When Paul, was talking, when Paul was talking about strong and weak believers in Romans chapter 14 and chapter 15, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 10, when he was talking about that, he warns against the sin of giving offense. So you can biblically offend someone. You can give offense. Offense can be given. It is also a sin to take offense when none is given. We see that in Matthew chapter 13, verses 57 and 58. So you, you, can, also, you can also take offense when none is given. But the question, hang with me, the question of taking offense when none is given has to do with speaking the truth of Christ or doing the work of Christ. If someone is offended by you speaking the truth of Christ or doing the the work of Christ, that is not your sin, that is their sin. They need to deal with God on that one. Let me give you an example because you're saying, what the heck did you just say? I'm I'm sitting in Bob Evans up here in Tylersville Road with another pastor. And now apply this online. It doesn't matter if it's online or in, in the real world. I'm sitting in Bob Evans and I'm talking to another pastor about the Lord. And we're sharing what Christ is doing in our lives and in our churches. About a half hour into the meal, a woman gets up from another table, walks straight towards us, leans her hands on our table, leans forward and says to us, I want you two to know that you have ruined my breakfast with your discussion. She was red-faced. You have ruined my breakfast with your discussion. If I apologize to her, I'm wrong. I don't need to apologize to her. Why? Because I'm speaking, I was speaking the truth of Christ. I was doing the work of Christ and sharing that. That's her sin. That's between her and her God. 
It is not mine. If she's offended, I didn't. She, she took offense when none was given. When Jesus was walking the earth, the Pharisees and Sadducees were offended by what he said. It's not Jesus' sin. It's their sin. They took offense when none was given. Now, again, I know what I, my, my experience was not online, but it's the same principle. It's the same, it's the same thing. When I see people stand behind the verse in Matthew chapter 13, they're not writing about doing the work of Christ, and they're not writing about the truth of Christ. Now, they may think what they're saying is true and right, but they're not doing the work of Christ, and they're not, and they're not, they're not stating, they're, what they're doing is stating their opinion. They're stating their opinion, and when someone is hurt by it, they quote Brigham Young. They quote this, you know, only a fool takes offense. Now, again, theologically, you can offend someone. If you take offense and it's not given, not your problem. All those things are true. But someone will sit down and say, hey, that hurt. What you said hurt me. And what, they'll, what people will do is instead of having a conversation, they'll quote Brigham Young. Well, I have someone I like to quote as well, and his name is Paul. And in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul said this, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only, each of us should not only look to our own interests, but also the interests of others. That's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. Again, I'm going to go back to it. If I'm stating biblical truth, if I'm doing the work of God, if I'm doing the work of Christ, and you're, you're offended by that, that is not my sin, that is your sin, and you have to go before the Lord and deal with that. You have to deal with your God. If, though, I am stating my opinion, giving my own thoughts, and someone is offended by that. If I, if I offend someone, if I cause, listen, if I cause someone to stumble or if I offend them, it, it's not just their issue. It's my issue. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It becomes my issue. I can't put it off just on them. I need to address it. I need to try to see it from their perspective. I need to try to understand how they're feeling. I need to put them first. I need to consider them as well as I consider myself. I need to consider them more than I consider myself. I need to consider others. I need to be able to sit down and have a discussion, talk to them about why they're feeling the way they're feeling. When I was a younger, when I was a younger pastor, I talked just as much as I do now with a lot less wisdom and discernment. And I'll give you an example of, of, of that in, in, right now. When I lived in Marblehead, Massachusetts, I was out to dinner with some really good friends. And we, were, we had a great time at dinner. We're driving home, and I decided to share my opinion on, on some subject. I can't remember what it was. So I was sharing my opinion on a subject, and I said something like, only a fool would think such and such. So only a fool would think this or that. Only an idiot or only a fool would think this or that. And on the ride home, I can tell that my friend Scott was, you know, something was wrong. I just, I sensed something was wrong. You know, it's not, it doesn't take a mental giant when people kind of shut down a little bit. So the next day I called him. I said, are you all right? Because you seemed a little quiet on the ride home. 
He said, yeah, I'm all right, but I was upset because um, you, you called me a fool. I was quiet because you called me a fool. I said, Scott, I would never call you a fool. He said, when you stated your opinion, what you said was only a fool would think this or this. And my only option was to either agree with you or I'm a fool. Either agree with you or I'm an idiot. So I must, I, 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 I'll tell you what, I, um, I, I, I got all the sincerity I could possibly muster. And, and, I, and I said to Scott, I looked him right in the face and I said to Scott, Brigham Young said, only a fool, no, is that what I said? <laughs> only a fool is offended because offense is given, not ta- you know, offense is taken, not given. No, I didn't do, I didn't say that at all. I didn't say that at all. I don't know if I was even right in what I said or wrong in what I said, I, but I know what I said to him. I said, you know what, I, I want you to forgive me for my, my, my comments. I, I ask that you forgive me for my foolish statement. I apologize to him for being insensitive um, with my words and thoughtless with my words. Now, your, thought, your, your words may not be thoughtless. Honestly, I don't, I don't know when you're interacting. with they, they may not be thoughtless, but unless they're biblical truth, unless they're biblical truth, they're just your opinion, and your opinion can be offensive. We need to understand that. Unless you're stating a biblical truth, then it's just it's your opinion and my Jeff Greer's opinions can be offensive. They can. I I know they can. And when they are, I shouldn't become defensive. I should try to be humble and take the time to try to understand the other person's perspective. I had to learn just because you're passionate about something doesn't make you right. There's so many things I thought when I was 25 or 28 or even 30 that 20 years later, I don't agree with myself anymore. And just because I was, I'm so passionate. Oh, you so, I'm so passionate. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't make you right. Just because you can talk over someone or out talk or debate someone doesn't make you right. It doesn't make me or you right. If you think you're right, lovingly walk them through your thought process. If you think you're right, lovingly walk that person through your thought process and why you think that way and allow them to share their thoughts with you. Iron sharpens iron. We can strengthen each other by encouraging each other. Make sure that we're encouraging each other. Listen, turn the offense, right, into something positive. Turn it into a unifying, something unifying. Turn it into something where you've now built a stronger relationship. Some of the people I'm closest with in this church, I've had the most difficult conflicts with. Because we sat down, we talked it through, I heard their heart, they heard my heart, and now we're a lot stronger than we were before. Because we turned an offense, we turned a difference of opinion, we turned whatever it was into a unifying time. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says this, But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken or, my friends, written. They will have to give account. I will have to give account for every careless word that I have written or spoken. The Internet is a wonderful, amazing tool. But like every tool, if it is not handled appropriately, if it is not handled correctly, it can do tremendous harm. 
like every other tool you use, physical tool you use, if you don't handle a chainsaw well, it's great for chopping down trees. It's great for chopping off arms, right? If you don't use the tool well, it can do tremendous damage. Here's a great verse to close with. Colossians 4, verse 6 says it well. Let your conversation, I love the word always, let your conversation be always, always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's what Christ calls us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. We are going to say the wrong things. We are going to share our opinions. We're going to share, we're going to do all those things. And you know what? We're going to get into difficulties and disagreements and we're going to offend and we're going to do those kinds of things. But the question is, how do you and I handle it? At the end of the day, consider the other person better than yourselves. Put yourself in that person's position. Think of their perspective. And even again, even if you're correct, the important thing to do is to lead that person lovingly through your thought process and allow them to share their thoughts and ideas and why they think differently And then let the Holy Spirit bond you together with that person so that at the end of the day, there's unity in Christ. Someone has grown. Someone has been built up. Someone has been encouraged. We as followers of Jesus Christ cannot thoughtlessly just write what we choose to write and not be concerned about the consequences and how it affects other people. I can't do it. And none of us can do it as followers of Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this incredible day. Thank you for this time that we can spend together. I pray, Lord God, that people be able to pull their feet from underneath their chairs. Um, And Father, that you would just encourage. God, you know my heart, you know my desire is to protect and to teach and to train and to encourage. I pray, dear God, that even if there were some ruffled feathers, even if there were some toes that were stepped on, I pray that you did the stepping and not me. I pray, Lord God, that you would help each one of us to handle our online activities in such a way that you would be pleased, that you would be lifted up, that you would be glorified through it all. Father, we love you. We praise you. We want to follow you. We want to be like you in every area of our lives. We just pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.